You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Philippians chapter 2. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him And bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so welcome. We are so glad that you are here. We are continuing in our series, and we're actually winding down in our series, Belong. We've heard amazing testimonies of what God has done in our lives through this series, looking uh, through the book of Acts and other various portions of Scripture, New Testament and Old Testament. And uh, just a little bit of vision behind this Belong series. Belonging, uh, or this Belong series is really discussing what it looks like to truly belong in a deeply divided and oftentimes very lonely generation. And what we're doing, how we're doing that is retelling the 
the ancient and compelling vision of the scriptures and how the Bible uh, describes belonging and particularly belonging within the local church. And today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing the importance of serving together. Serving together is the title of this message this morning. As last week and always, uh, it's important to note uh, that these are not the things that we do in order for God to receive us. These are not the things that we do in order to belong to God and his family. We are justified by faith, the God's grace in our lives. These are not things that we do to impress God so that he chooses us for his team. But these are things that we do now because we belong to God through faith in Jesus Christ. These are the fitting responses for the believer. These are the ways that we now reinforce our belonging and foster relationships within the church. That's very important to note each and every week. In uh, John Stott's little book called The Living Church, he describes this extremely rich word called koinonia. It's, koinonia, it's a Greek word which appears twice in our readings this morning. It appears in the book of Acts as fellowship, and it appears in Philippians 2 as a participation, a partnership. And this is what he says. Koinonia expresses not only what we have received together, but what we give out together. Not only in our common inheritance, but also in our common service. In other words, belonging isn't just marked by our shared ideas or our shared values or our shared vision or our shared beliefs or our shared inheritance, but what we see in Scripture is it's also marked by our shared willingness to serve, our shared willingness to sacrifice on the behalf of others. This is, what, this is what the Apostle Paul seems to be appealing towards. He says in Philippians, essentially, if, if, uh, if, there, if you've gotten anything out of being united with Christ, if there's any benefit of being united with Jesus Christ and experience any kind of common blessing, uh, the common blessing of being in fellowship with the Spirit, then step all the way in. Then step all the way into love and care and humility and service. Belonging means embracing both the privileges and the responsibilities of being a part. Belonging, I'll say that again, embraces both the privileges and the responsibilities of being a part. We know this. To foster healthy relationships, we don't just take, we contribute. We are not just recipients, but we are also actively involved. It's what fosters uh, healthy relationships. It's what fosters healthy intimate relationships. It's what fosters healthy relationship within the church as well. Embracing both the privileges and the responsibilities. Can't help but remember as a child, uh, a little story here. As a child, I used to look out the window and watch my dad mowing the lawn. And I would watch him almost, as a really young boy, I'd watch my dad almost every Saturday watch that lawn. Some, something I really respect about my dad, among other things, is his dedication and attention to detail to that lawn. I have never seen my dad's lawn overgrown, ever. And so he would, he would, he would be out there cutting the grass with so much enthusiasm. He made it look painless and enjoyable and effortless. And, and, and he was just, it was something that I dreamed of doing as well. And so I would look out the window and I'd watch him do his thing. And I remember thinking, I wanna do that too. So I'd ask my dad, can I cut the grass? And every time you'd say, no, son, you're not ready. No, son, you're not ready. So once in a while, he would, he would let me come out and uh, let me stand be between him and the mower. And so we, at the time, we had a powered mower. And so, you know, lift the crank. And I would just be standing between him, sort of just 
brachiating here, just holding on, and we'd be going uh, together. And, uh, but he never let me mow the grass by himself. Until that day, he called me up. It was my day. I think I was about 12 years old. Uh, and it was time for me to, cut, to, to join my older brothers in cutting the grass. But here, it just happened to coincidentally uh, correspond with two things. One is he downgraded to a push mower. And uh, secondly, he moved into a, a, a house with a significantly larger backyard. And so I remember getting out there. I had watched him, so I didn't need a tutorial. I knew exactly what to do. I knew, you know, you could do the lazy way, essentially the circles towards the middle, but homeowners love when you go the diagonal, you know? And so I, I knew what I was doing, so I get out there. I'm mowing the lawn within minutes, if not seconds. I'm like, this sucker played me. <laughs> he played me. He's, been, he, he's had this, this, this like decade-long plan of getting me psyched up, pulling the rug out from underneath me and saying, have fun for the rest of your teenage years. And um, I, remember, I remember getting out there and thinking, like, this, this seriously sucks. Like, this is horrible. <laughs> getting to mowing, or getting to mow quickly became having to mow. And so I joined the rotation uh, every three weeks of having to mow that lawn. Here, here's the deal. I wanted the privilege and the status of being a big man. I, I saw my old man out there mowing his grass with a smile. I wanted to be a man, but here's the thing. I wanted the privilege. I wanted the status. I did not want the responsibility. I wanted to be a big man without the sacrifices. I wanted the joy without having to lay it down. And if we were to be honest, can we be honest this morning, church? If we were to be honest, we bring this into our adulthood. We bring this into our relationships. We bring this into our workplaces. And if we're going to be brutally honest, we bring this into our relationship with the church. We love the idea of receiving the benefits and the privilege and the status of belonging. But we are very reluctant when it comes to engaging its responsibilities. We love to receive, but we are very reluctant when it comes to being accountable, to being on the hook for giving back, for contributing. As I've heard it said before, we're okay with being called servants of God so long as we're not treated like one. We, we, we're okay with the status so long as we're not, nothing is actually having to change in our lives at all. But as we look at this, this sketch uh, found here in the book of Acts, what we see is it's very clear that they are not only enjoying uh, the fellowship, not only enjoyers of the fellowship, but they're active participants, both sides of the Koinonia, pun intended there, as recipients and givers. You guys are cold, <laughs> ice cold this morning. Turn that heater off. <laughs> uh, okay. The question, the question I have is, is how? Because we look at them, and they are willing to sacrifice. They're serving one another. Uh, they're seeking the greater good of the community. They're seeking the greater good of the church. And the question is how? What happened in their minds, what happened in their hearts that made them so willing to go to such great lengths to cross over cultural divides, to cross over economic divides in order to serve one another? You see, the reason that we're looking at two passages this morning is um, today Acts gives us this brief historic sketch, just gives us little blurbs about what we see happening in the early church. But Philippians gives us the commentary. Philippians is going to give us both the theology and the psychology, and I'll explain that in just a moment. The theology and the psychology behind becoming a church with a clear, evident, tangible culture of service for one another. 
Paul in, in Philippians is going to lay out the inner workings of what we are, we are seeing manifesting here in Acts, showing us what it means to be a people that follows in the steps, in the footsteps of our servant King Jesus Christ. Here's the big question that we're going to be wrestling this morning. I'll give uh, three answers toward this, but how do we become a church that serves together? Reality, how do we become a church marked by our service? The first thing is this, servanthood requires a change of interests. I am going to ask you this morning to change your interest. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 5, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you Look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. No one had to teach us to look to our own interests. No one has ever had to teach us how to look to our own interests. Sure, we had to, we had to be taught as little children to brush our teeth and wash our hands and do our homework and maybe even pay our bills or something like that. These are the means. But the motivation has always been there from birth. From our first waking moment, we cried for care, we cried out for protection, we cried out for provision. Before we even had the words, we're able to form the words to say it, we were crying out, serve me, serve me. While that self-interest is extremely natural, looking to the interests of others is not. Valuing others more significant than ourselves is not instinctual. This is not natural. In fact, it is the furthest thing from it. In fact, in our own uh, natural motivation, even when we seek the interests of others, it's often done with ourselves in mind, isn't it? When we to seek to serve others, what we're really thinking about is the bottom line of ourselves. We butter people up for opportunity. We contribute because we like the way that it makes us feel. We give in order to get something back in return. We do it in the workplace. We do it in relationships. We do it in intimacy. We do it throughout, the, throughout our world, throughout our lives. We give because at the end of the day, we are hoping that something comes back our way. We even do it in the church. In fact, this, this is such a problem that we all face. I mean, this levels the playing field for all of us. We are all naturally very selfish individuals. It's such a problem that elsewhere in Scripture, we're told this in 2 Corinthians 5. Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So let me put it in other words. The grip of self-interest is so strong that it takes nothing less than the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to set us free from it. The grip of self-interest is so strong upon every single one of us that it takes nothing less than the resurrection power that raised Christ from the dead to set us free from it. But thanks be to God, that's what he's done, amen? The bad news, and uh, we, we gotta accept the bad news today, the bad news is you and I are more selfish than we'd ever admit. But here's the good news. The good news is that God in his selfless sacrifice, sets us free. He sets us free. And now God is at work in the believer's life, changing our lives, changing our hearts, and even changing our minds. 
I'm asking you to change your mind today. I know ta how taboo that is, but I'm asking you to change your mind today. Paul says this mind, the mind that was and is present in Christ, the servant of all, the one who said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to lay down my life as a ransom for many. That mind, that way of thinking, is actually yours if you are in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying the, the mind of Christ is actually yours. You don't need to go find it. You don't need to make it. It is yours. Now use it. Now, there are times where I have to look my children in the eye and ask them a very serious question. Did God give you a brain? And they say yes. And I say, all right, we're going to use it today. Today, we're going to use it. Paul is lovingly and maybe with a little bit of father love saying, you have the mind of Christ. Now use it. Now use it. As you're apprenticing Jesus, watch him and allow what you see in Christ shape the way that you think. Shape your mind. Watch who Jesus serves. Watch how Jesus serves. Watch when Jesus serves and let it shape your thinking. Let it change your mind. Let who Jesus values determine who you value. Let who he serves determine who you serve. Let when he serves determine when you serve. A church that is marked by service is a church full of people who have taken upon themselves the mind of Christ, that renewed mind that we have by the Spirit, and with that new mind, have decided to put the interests of others before their own. That's what the mind of Christ is going to lead us to do, to count others more significant than ourselves. And what is the result? I love how Eugene Peterson translates verse 4. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. The result of putting on the mind of Christ is we forget about ourselves just long enough to lend a helping hand, to get us out of the way so that Christ and his service may shine. The second thing to note is this. Servanthood requires a change of status. A change of status. Now, this entire passage here in Philippians is remarkable. We've spent time as a church in Philippians. Every time I study Philippians, there's something, some things new that, that pop out at me. Um, and while time will not allow us to discuss everything, I, I want us to note something here that Paul is doing. He is instructing the church uh, about how to think and act, and then he lays out for them Jesus Christ. We see the church in the first portion up to about verse 5, and then in the final portion up to about verse 11, we see the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and, and the point is clear contrast, okay? So we see us, we're selfish. We see Christ, he's selfless. We see us, we're prideful. We see Christ, he's humble. We look at us, we're self-preserving. We look at Jesus, he sacrifices. We look at us, we care about ourselves. Jesus gives it all for us. And there's this clear contrast between us and Jesus. But there's something here specifically regarding status. Paul is going to contrast something about status here. Look with me in verse 3. When Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. What, what Paul is doing here is he's laying out a little bit of, um, well, there's a little bit of political undertone to this. In fact, 
the word here for, uh, the words in English, two words, selfish ambition, is a word, a Greek word that is found previously to the penning of this letter here in Philippians. It was found in Aristotle's book, Politics. Oops. It was found in Aristotle's book, Politics, which maybe some of you had to read in school. And the word in its original context meant an individual trying to self-promote themselves to a place of honor. It had a political undertone, so it meant seeking uh, self-seeking pursuit of a political office. It was an individual who had their sights set on a, a specific political position and was going in that direction. A person with a very clear agenda to make themselves a somebody. Apparently, this was prevalent in the Greco-Roman world. We look in history. It's very prevalent in history, and it doesn't take us long to look around our world around us. It's prevalent in our day as well. Everyone is trying to make themselves a somebody. We are out there dogging it out, trying to make ourselves a somebody. But here's what Paul's saying. This has no place in the house of God. This has no place in the household of God. Self-promotion has no place in God's kingdom. No place in God's kingdom. But then Paul contrasts it with the life and ministry of Jesus. Look at me in verses 6 through 8, speaking of Christ who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself being, uh, by taking the form of a servant. Listen to these words. Jesus, taking the, word, uh, the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, so having the very form, the very nature, the very essence, the very status of God, being the very son of God himself, Jesus did not consider this all as something that he needed to cling to. The status was not nothing that he needed to, to hold on to or fight for, but in contrast, actually willingly set it aside, set aside his privilege, set aside his position took upon himself the form, nature, and status of a servant, which actually means slave, takes the form of a slave in his life, and then takes the place of a hardened criminal in his death. That's a significant change in status that we see in Jesus. The Gospel of Luke records a, a power struggle that appeared among the early disciples. Luke 22 tells us this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was going to be regarded as the greatest. We know nothing of this. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. This is not the way that it is work to work with you, my disciples. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, he's asking them, one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Honest question, who's the greater one? The one who is being served or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Is it not the one who is being served? But let me flip the script for you. I came as one who serves. In the world, the answer is the guy or the gal that is at the table. That is the greatest. It's the one who's being served. You've worked your way up 
the, the corporate ladder. Now people work for you. Now people serve you. You are the greatest. And Jesus says, no, I have come to serve. This is no longer the mark of greatness. This is where greatness is found. In service. In humility. So much of our lives are lived on that path of self-discovery. Trying to figure out who we are trying to figure out our place in this world, essentially trying to establish our status. And yet, for so many of us, we are still, at the end of the day, very insecure about who we are. We are insecure people. We are very insecure about our lives. We are very insecure about who we are, what we do, what we contribute, our place, our place in the world, our place in the church. Why? Because we haven't dared to actually lose it. We're hanging on. We're hanging on to our own self-interest. We're hanging on to our own comforts. We're hanging on to our own status. And the longer that we cling to these things, the more they will escape our grasp. The longer that we try to cling for status, the longer we try to cling for self, towards uh, self-promotion, the faster and, and more often they will escape our grasp. But the scripture brings some necessary clarity as to why this happens as to why no matter how much we promote in status, no matter how high we climb, we're never truly satisfied. It's why no matter what job, fame, wealth, or comfort we reach, we're still subject to depression. We're still subject to anxiety. We're still subject to insecurity. We're still subject to loneliness. In fact, one could argue the higher that we climb, the the more temptation we have towards those things. We see in Philippians shows us not only what we're doing wrong, but it actually shows us how it's done right. It shows us how status is designed to work within the kingdom of God. And here it is. We become a nobody to become a somebody. Say that again. We become a nobody to become a somebody. You want to be a somebody? You got to be willing to be a nobody. You want to achieve greatness? You got to be willing to lay it all down. Give up yourself for the sake of Christ and others, and you will then find your real self. Jesus says in Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life is going to lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How counterintuitive is that? In the world, it's go seek find, grasp, obtain, and run. Jesus says, let it go. It's got to die. Let it die, be buried, and then it will raise again. Give it up. As Christ humbled himself in the incarnation, identifying with the weak, he identified with the powerless, he identified with the lowly, Jesus was standing with them. Jesus was serving them. Jesus sacrificed for them. Jesus suffered with them. And it was in his humiliation that then God reveals his exaltation. You see the movement of this, of this uh, passage in Philippians 2? Look at me in the final three verses, 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Therefore, combines now what we're reading here with what we just read. 
Because he stooped low, because he humbled himself, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, whether you're in heaven and earth and hell, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You cannot exceed a status like that. You cannot exceed a status like that. And the promise that the Christian clings to, listen. You may be thinking, well, that's fine and dandy for Jesus. The promise that the Christian clings to is that we will be exalted with him as well. In fact, Paul messes up the whole time continuum thing and says, right now, if you are in Christ, you are actually seated with him at the right hand of the Father. Seated with Christ in the heavenly places. There you are, safe and secure with Christ. When we cling to this promise with hope, then we're free to be servants. When we cling to this promise that we will be exalted with Christ, then and only then are we free to be the servants that God has called us to be. Many of you are probably familiar with a a scene in John 13. It's where Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. It's a scandalous scene. It's very strange. But what I want to do is I want to to share a couple of the verses that precede that. John 13, starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What led Jesus to do such a thing? Because he knew who he was. He knew the God that had sent him, and he knew the God that he was returning to be with. He was secure in his position in heaven before God. And he takes the servant robe and he takes the towel and he serves. Christian, we, we, we need to settle this once and for all. Here it is. The towel of the servant today and the crown of glory in eternity. The towel today, the crown tomorrow. We take up our cross today and we're resurrected then you mix that up we reverse that order and we will miss it and service will be dry and service will be lifeless and we will give up the towel today the crown of glory tomorrow jesus said that the servant is not greater than his master And this is something that we all need to consider today. We are not greater than Christ. So why on earth would we imagine that we deserve a greater path? Why on earth would we think that we deserve to circumvent this path that Christ has laid out for us? To get a pass, to get to skirt around it, to get an easier route, to get a more renowned, honored route. Christ stooped low, and that's where we're going to in the hopes that we'll be exalted with him. 
The last thing is this, servanthood requires a change of direction. I've asked a lot of you guys this morning, but this is the final thing. You need to change the entire direction of your life. No big deal, right? Change the entire direction of your life. The word here for humility that Jesus displayed and the kind that we're called to means lowliness. And, it's, and the meaning is found really in that word. It means to go low. Lowliness, go low. It means stooping down in our humble thoughts about ourselves. It means stooping down to promote others. It means stooping down in the way that we serve. Jesus exemplifies this as he goes down and washes their feet. Stooping down in sacrifice. Here's the direction of the kingdom. The direction is down. You go down to come up. Now I know that we've been conditioned from early childhood to set our sights on the goal and ascend the hill and run with all we've got. But I'm telling you, God is calling us to change the direction of our life. You go down to come up. In John Milton's epic novel, Paradise Lost, it opens with this this scene. It's a window into Satan falling from heaven. And he's there in hell, and Satan's he's beginning to make himself at home in hell, and he's sort of beginning to rationalize his decisions and all that sort of thing. And this is what Satan says. To reign is worth ambition, though in hell. Better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. For Satan, it was better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Listen to how the the prophet Isaiah describes the king of Babylon, who many commentators actually believe that Isaiah is talking about Satan himself in this passage. Listen to these words. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I'm going up, 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 upward and on. But you are brought down. Brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Satan says, I'm going up, and God brings him down. Satan attempted to go high, and he was brought low. But we see the very opposite in Jesus Christ. We read here in Philippians that Jesus descended low, and God exalted him. Jesus emptied himself of fame. Jesus became human. He took on the form of a slave, a servant, He stepped down into death, the most brutal, humiliating death imaginable. And yet God raised him up. God exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. We've heard it said before, what goes up, what must come down. It's a law of gravity. Uh, We we can thank Newton for that one. But this is also the gravity of the kingdom too. You ascend in self-promotion, you will be brought down. You raise yourself up in pride, and eventually you will be cut down. But there's another controlling force within the kingdom of God, and it's the resurrection power. It's the resurrection power that defies our sin. It's the resurrection power that defies gravity. It's the resurrection power that even defies death itself. 
And here's how it goes. What goes down in the name of Jesus Christ will be raised up. That's a promise. What goes down in humility in the name of Jesus Christ will be raised up. The apostle Peter would write to the church, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Your time is coming. Friend, you have sacrificed much. Friend, you have turned down the illusion of pleasure now in this life for the inheritance that won't fade. You have been willing to associate with the lowly. You have been willing to bear the reproach. You have been willing to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Your exaltation is coming. Hang on. Hold on. Stoop low. Humble yourself and serve and God will raise you up. Amen? Amen. At this point, what I'd like to do is turn it over to our deacons. Generally, I, what I've been doing is the Q&A session, but I would like to um, welcome our deacons up. They're going to take it from here and talk about ways that we can now respond to God's word as servants of God. Would you guys give our deacons a hand? Good morning, church. Again, again. Hear me now? Cool. I'm going to introduce them just so we can get started because we've all been doing it. Um, but this is Deacon Aaron. Deacon Aaron is our administrator of the church. Um, so obviously he's, we love him. He does a lot. He's behind the scenes, obviously finances, things like that throughout the week. Um, staff connect for a lot of our ministry leads and things of that nature. Deacon Rachel is... She's got a, a difficult task, obviously. She oversees our kids' ministry and our young adults, and, or not young adults, but our young teenagers and things like that, along with her husband, Pastor David. And then lastly, we have Deacon Lauren, who does run our college life ministry and those students and keeping them engaged and connected with the church as well as them cleaning. There's a lot of things that go down with these three um, that are just always behind the scenes, but really we see it as our goal to connect you guys and be a catalyst for service as a church. And so while we head things up, um, we all know that it, nothing really happens without the servant in the church. And so we're going to let them just talk specifically about some specific things. So I'm going to ask Deacon Rachel first. What were some barriers to serving that you faced, and how did God grace you to overcome? Um, I grew up with both sets of grandparents being really involved in the church and my parents, and so I had, like, the privilege of watching them serve grow up. And as a kid, I always thought, like, oh, that's kind of annoying. Like, my grandma and my grandpa would both pick me up from preschool, and my grandpa was a lawyer, um, but he was retired, and every time he would pick me up, we were going somewhere. Or every time my grandma would pick me up, she had strangers in the car. And I was always like, oh, my gosh, this is weird. Um, and I can remember asking my grandma after we dropped off someone that she was helping, like, why are we doing this? And she, like, just turned back and was like, because of Jesus. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but then I fast forward, and I we were at my grandpa's funeral, and it was packed and hundreds and hundreds of people were in the community 
and came up to, and then this man came up to me and he was like, you're Walt's granddaughter, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, I just want you to know that your grandpa counted others as more significant than himself. And that made, I was um, 11, but that made a huge impact on me. And I always remembered that, that I was like, okay, I want to do that. And I want, and then I want to do that because of Jesus. And so, um, like it says in Psalm 78, um, to tell the coming generations. And that's like, I think in service too, if our kids are watching us all serve and they're watching us serve others and to count others better than ourselves, they're going to pick up on that too. And they're not too young to serve. Um, so, yeah, so I think that's kind of how it was an obstacle, but I overcame it by watching those before me. Very cool. And it's a testament in their life even. You won't find a lot of church events, including prayer, uh, where there's not a LaPerry child in the mix um, tearing it up. But they are always Sorry. with them, and they are continuing <laughs> that legacy of their family is connected. And Jonah has a heart of service, and Thomas as well, at seven and five, seven and four years old already. Deacon Lauren, an ancient philosopher once asked, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? Today, the temptation is to think that serving is opposed to happiness, that they're not compatible. What would you say to an idea like that? Uh, yeah, I'm, I actually think it's not just today, right? Most of human history has been a struggle to have more rights than other people, and that constantly goes over and over and over again. Um, and I think really in the West, we're convinced that the more we can decide for ourselves and get what we want, the more happy we'll be. Um, but I actually was going to share a scripture that Christian shared, so <laughs> I won't do it. I'll just remind us. Um, in Mark and in Luke, Jesus says, like, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom needs to be the servant. And if you want to be the greatest of all, you need to be the servant of all. And he is the best example of that. I love um, throughout all of scripture, Jesus and many of the other biblical writers offer a different interpretation that service is actually about love. It's not about oppression. It's not about being underneath someone else in a bad way. Um, and as I was thinking about that, I was like, what? What thing do we long for more and is more fulfilling than to love others and to be loved by them? We all want that. <laughs> Whether we know Jesus or not, we all long for that. Um, there are so many examples of scripture of um, service bringing about love and fulfillment and joy. So I just picked two. Um, in John, Jesus says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than someone lay down his life for his friends. So their love is about serving others. And then at the end of John, in John 21, um, he's talking to Simon, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And of course, Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so what does Jesus say? Like, okay, feed my lambs. Like, serve then, if you love me. Um, along with that, I think that like, bearing the weight of our own lives <laughs> and constantly struggling to be able to get what we want, that actually doesn't bring fulfillment. And any of us could probably attest to that in our lives. Um, Christian said it, the way up in the kingdom is down. And so the way to find joy and fulfillment is to serve. Thank you. Obviously, the, there's a real reality to kind of what we all do. Um, if you guys don't know, just for the sake of like this team, um, Aaron and Rachel are employees of the church, right? So they work, they're paid staff. Um, Lauren and myself are lay staff, meaning we do not get paid by the church. We both have full-time jobs outside of this building, which is going to be the case for the majority of you guys sitting here besides Pastor Christian as well, right? You guys, we're not cutting your checks. 
um, you've got jobs and families and lives that you guys attend to. And so we know that, that a call to serve is probably not just one, and the heart to serve is not one that just utilized in the church, um, but really across all of what we do um, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, just like we talk about generosity, and that includes giving and how we give obediently and how we take depths of faith financially here at the church. But typically, our generous brothers and sisters in the church um, are probably generous outside of these four walls as well, in their neighborhood, at their workplaces. And so, but we want to talk specifically about the church today, and no one better to ask the last question to this morning than Deacon Aaron, um, because he's the one that kind of connects all of these moving pieces that go on for the church. And so, real practically for the church, Aaron, what are some ways uh, that they can get involved today if they have a desire to belong um, to the church, and how can they get involved? Yeah, um, well, I would say first, too, um, you know, we have a lot of needs in the church, um, and specifically, there, there are those of you that uh, maybe feel like um, you don't have the gifts or the talents to, to meet those needs. You do. Um, there are needs maybe that we don't even know about. So, um, you know, there's, I, I come across this sometimes where I'm telling people to get involved, and maybe it's some of you, so. Uh, <laughs> but you're saying, like, well, I don't feel called to that. No, Jesus has called all of us to serve, um, like Christian was saying. Um, you know, he wants us to get involved, not just because it's going to build up the need or to serve the needs of the church, but it's to give you joy as well. So, um, a lot of you are going to have um, gifts, um, and, you know, like we were saying, there's probably needs that we don't even know about. So, to, to just let us know about that, just fill out that connect card that's in the back of your seat. Um, there's things on there that say, like, serve, community group, prayer, mark the service part, and on the back, just leave us a note. Hey, this is a gift that I believe that I can use to build up the church. And you can just uh, drop that off at the Connect table. There's also a, a Connect form back there um, on the iPad. The Connect team would love to just help you with that, and you can talk to them about just how to, to get more plugged in with service. Um, guys, we, we are all in this together as the church. Um, we're called to this. Um, I'm just going to share one story. Um, there's a woman in my community group that blesses us every week. So I host um, and lead, but honestly, she's been more of the host. You know, it's just kind of more my house. But she's, like, bringing the snacks, and she, I mean, Chris gets some of the leftovers sometimes. Um, we've had some tortilla soup, you know, but that's, that's her thing. She serves in that way, and, you know, um, that's, that's just something like a small task like that that maybe just goes under the radar, but it blesses um, a group of, you know, 12 people on a Thursday night. And so I want to say, like, if that's the way to serve, um, just let your community group leader know or let the church know, let your deacons know, let the, just the um, Connect team know. And, um, yeah. So. Yeah, and if you guys want to serve, thank you, Aaron. Um, that's a real easy process, right? Just sign up. We've got some things where we need bodies. Shameless plug right now. Our kids' ministry is growing and thriving and booming. Praise God. Um, that doesn't happen without the servants. You know, I'm back there right now. Miss Josie's back there, and we're doing our thing and scrambling to get up here. But um, we need more. And so we're not afraid to say, like, this is all of our home church. Like, we're, we're all in this together. Um, we're at a time right now today um, where we need people to serve in kids' ministry and co-laborers. And so if that's something on your heart, or even if you have no idea what that means, um, but you just want to take that step of faith and respond to God's call in your life, um, we will connect you. And then lastly, when we talk about belong, um, the one thing that for me in my life and my experience has been, uh, there is nothing greater for my own heart and life 
um, that connected me with brothers and sisters and that I get the privilege, really what enables me to call someone brother or sister is that we are serving and co-laboring together. Um, I think that's one important thing. If, if, you know, in your heart, you're feeling like, man, like, I like this church or even any church or really like, and you're taking steps to engage and you've seen some of these tenants that we believe all call and what makes us belong together. Um, service is one that's really practical step to take to say, you know, I'm gonna engage, you know, I'm gonna get involved. Um, I'm gonna sweep, you know, we've got, praise God, college students that come in here every week and clean this place up um, after our kids, mainly mine, come in here and mess it up. Um, and they do incredible stuff behind the scenes, no glory. Um, but I'm so sure like Christian promised, like, that crown tomorrow. Amen. Um, so we love you guys. We're so thankful that we get to serve the church in the ways that we do. Um, and I think we just want you guys to be involved and engaged and invited. So you've got the invitation. Love you guys.